politics, social unrest, economic uncertainty, international conflicts, climate change. What is the significance of these current events? Where are we heading? Pastor Gary Webster shares answers from the Bible, giving you hope and certainty in the times ahead. Welcome to Countdown, Back to the Future. Continuing Episode 3, Globalism, the New World Order. Incredible things are happening in our world. Just one more. Protestant reformers like Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, a whole bunch of others, these, many of these had been priests or were priests in the Church of Rome. They began, as they studied the Bible, they saw from Scripture that justification is by faith alone in Jesus. What does that mean? It means you and I are right with God when we simply come and say, God, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus. The moment a person comes to Christ, as they are, they are pardoned, they are forgiven, and they're ready to meet Almighty God should they die or Jesus should come. Right now, they're ready. That's what we call justification. Now, the reformers, those great priests and, and bishops in the church, as they read their Bibles seriously, they saw that that's the truth. It's alone in Jesus. Because the Bible says there's no other name in heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So they taught that they're right with God solely by faith in Christ's death. Now, unfortunately, the church had been teaching this, that we're right with God by our faith plus our human works, plus our human efforts. Now, the problem with that is you never know whether you've done enough, because if you've got a part in it, whenever is your good stuff good enough? You never know that. But the Bible teaches, no, we're saved by faith alone. Now, I want you to notice what's just been happening right now around the world in the last few years. In the declaration on the doctrine of justification, how we're right with God by faith, there is now agreement on justification by faith between the Lutherans and the Roman Catholic churches. In other words, they all believe the same thing. But it's not because the Church of Rome has changed. It's because Protestants have changed. They've changed their definitions a little. Now this, this idea is now accepted by Lutherans, Catholics, Anglicans, Methodists and the World Communion of Reformed Churches. They all believe that we all believe the same thing about how we're saved by faith. But for the Church of Rome, it includes works. No question, it's still the same. Now, this man, he is just as well the Archbishop of Canterbury. Not sure if he's still the one, but he was the last one or whether he's still going. I think he's still going. He says the reason for the Protestant Reformation is finished now because we all believe the same about this teaching. When the Lutheran World Federation and the Catholic Church signed the joint declaration on the doctrine of Justification, how we're right with God in 1999, you resolve the underlying theological question of 1517. That's when Martin Luther nailed his thing to the door of the church and the Reformation began in a decisive moment for all churches in the search for unity and reconciliation. In other words, we do not need a Protestant Reformation anymore. Wow. What's the point we're making? The church has incredible 
not just political power in the world but religious influence and we're actually seeing it right now this week uh, in what is going on now the bishop of rome's mantra if you like is unity that leads to unification my daughter uh, who's uh, was digging in israel her and her husband sent us photographs of when uh, the bishop of rome visited israel and they they sent the, some posters and that's exactly what the aim is to bring us all to one uh, to be together that they may be one that's the message and many powerful protestants today in leaders in the what we call the pentecostal movement and other evangelical leaders today are more and more becoming aligned and in agreement with the vatican now i don't raise this so that we can point fingers what i raise it for is this is a fulfillment of bible prophecy john said as we near the end of time we would be seeing such things he put it this way all the world marveled and followed all the world marveled and followed my friends we are seeing that today big time in our world now we come to the second beast the beast from the land now god will speak to protestants because god speaks to everybody in this book because everybody needs to come back to this book <laughs> no matter who we are all of us need this so john now talks about the beast from the land then i saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb but he spoke like a dragon this beast represents protestant usa now you say how do you get that well john tells us that i'm just telling you up front now we'll have a look at his identifying characteristics john gives us five identifying characteristics so we can know but remember john wrote this jesus gave it to him 2000 years ago you would have thought he was watching the news when he wrote this stuff down now let's have a look at this number one this beast arises in a different region it arises in a relatively unpopulated part of this world how do we know that remember then i saw another beast coming up out of the earth where did the first beast the sea beast come from out of the sea what does the sea represent waters regions large populations now this beast comes up in that region in contrast to that not the sea but the land in other words a relatively unpopulated region go back to that text so you can see then he said to me the waters which you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples multitudes nations and languages let's just give a quick history of the united states of america the americans would be abhorred with this quick history we're going to fly over a little bit of it not that it's wrong it's just that it's quick okay history of the united states why did the united states come into being for this reason because of religious intolerance in what we call or historians call the old world that's europe there was a lot of intolerance in the old world a lot of it first of all the church of rome as we saw earlier many people faithful priests and bishops were killed executed put in prison 
But then also Protestants killed people too. You read that. John Calvin, he did some great things. He, he brought some great truths, but he had no problem killing people who disagreed with him. There was a lot of intolerance from both Roman Catholic and Protestant in the old world. And so how many of us like to be persecuted? Well, of course, no one. <laughs> you don't want to hang around where you're going to you know, get a bullet in the head. You want to move away. So people decided, let's leave the old world and let's go to the new because the new had just been discovered by people like Christopher Columbus and others. So people set sail for the new world, they called it. And some of these people included the Pilgrim Fathers. The Pilgrim Fathers were living in Leyden. They were in exile because at different times, uh, even the Church of England persecuted people and, and, and were intolerant. But then... And then, of course, the Church of Rome came back to power in, in England again and more intolerance from that way as well. So these people, they went to Leyden in, in Holland and then they jumped on a boat called the Mayflower, came over to Plymouth in England and set sail with more people to the New World. They landed in 1620. There was only one million Native Americans living in all that North American continent. Wow, that's not much people. Not compared to the old world where there were millions of people. Then came their war of independence against the British, 1776. Do you know when they fought that war, uh, that's what, uh, 1620, 1776, 150 years later or so, there were still only 3 million people in all North America. Still very much unpopulated compared to the old world. So that's the first thing, arise in a relatively unpopulated region of the planet. Number two, it would arise around 1798. How do we know that? Look what the Bible says. Then I saw another beast coming up, springing up out of the earth. What's the then? Well, you have to read the context. What just went before it? Notice what it said in the previous verses. He, that's the sea beast, the medieval church, who leads into captivity. He's been putting people in dungeons, even faithful priests and so on. He who leads into captivity will go into captivity. He who kills with the sword, sadly, they had been killing people, especially the sea beast. He will be killed with the sword. What you reap, so you reap. Comes back on you, in other words. So this beast that's been killing others, it's going to be killed. When did that happen? The deadly wound. That's the, that's the, he'll be killed. He'll be put captive. That's the deadly wound, he's saying. At the time of the deadly wound, in other words, then another beast is going to come up. At that time, as one's going down, up springs another one. Now, the colonies have a, were established in North America from 1620 on and around that time. By the time we come to the U.S. War of Independence, which was won in 1783, then we come to the U.S. Constitution in 1789, a new nation is being formed, you see, as we move late into the 1700s. As one power is about to go down, another is springing up. Exactly what John said 2,000 years before nearly. As one power is going down in 1798 with the beast wound, Another is springing up. Number three, this power that comes up out of the land will be a global political and economic superpower, this one. How do we know that? Have a look. 
He causes all. You've got to have some clout to do this, the whole planet, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So in other words, you cannot buy, you cannot sell. You can control everything. You've got some muscle, haven't you? <laughs> You've got some might behind you. Notice the United States of America. On the eve of the new millennium, Time magazine. No other nation, talking about the United States, has exercised such military, economic, diplomatic and cultural reach since Rome. That means the Rome of the Caesars. America bestrides the world like a colossus. It surely does, even today. What do we look at when we say, how's our dollar going? What do we match it by? We don't look at the Chinese yen too much. We look at the US dollar, even though China's becoming a powerhouse. Economically, the world is, 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 is locked into the United States. When it comes tumbling down, everyone else falls or rises. I watch the Australian stock market every now and then. You see, America goes up, so we go up. They go down, we go down. It's like that across the world. And what about this business of, of uh, cultural reach? What's, what, what way do our kids wear their caps on the streets usually? Back there from Where'd they get that idea from? Hollywood? Comes out of America? You go to China, you go to the Middle East, the three arches, you know, the golden arches and all that. <laughs> Wherever you go in the world, America has cultural reach. That's why the world's going down the drain, because it, it, Hollywood spews this out on their behalf. I was in Samoa and run, uh, I was at a seminar that was being run while I was teaching out in Fiji and we went to Samoa for a conference. And this, this dear doctor lady in in uh, Samoa she was a doctor of something not medicine but she was a doctor and she was bemoaning the fact that the 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 western world its culture coming from America was was sort of sort of overrunning Samoan culture she says we've got to stop it I said good try lady it's not going to happen not when you've got an iPhone an iPad and everything else is just not going to happen the cultural reach of America is enormous number four this power says John will join forces with the sea beast. These two powers are going to come together in the end of time. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, notice what's happening here. Time magazine, when the... Uh, you, the Eastern European communism collapse ran a front cover story called the Holy Alliance. What was it about? It was how the Vatican and Washington combined together to bring down communism. They joined forces. Why is that? Well, it started in what country? Poland. I've been to Poland a couple of times. In fact, ran these seminars in Poland. And Poland is 95% Roman Catholic. And that's where it started because the, the, the Bishop of Rome had enormous power there. The United States worked with them and they brought down the collapse of East European communism, which was a good thing anyway, but it was a joint thing together. Here's a picture that is worth a thousand words. 
I want you to notice this picture because we have three past and present presidents of the United States, a Protestant country, kneeling in front of the body of John Paul, lying in state way back then in when Pope John Paul II died. Now, why is that a significant picture for this reason? How did the United States of America start? It started because people wanted to run away from religious intolerance of the old world and come to the new world to escape it. But notice the trend. Notice what happened has happened in the United States. So much so that over the years, nobody understands anymore what is going on. And so we have three past, present and bishops, uh, sorry, presidents of the United States, Protestant leaders kneeling in front of the the body of John Paul lying in state. A very significant change. Number five, it makes an image of the beast, meaning that Protestant America is going to make a, a sort of a replica of the, bishop, the, be, the, the beast from the sea. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs. This is the land beast. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs or miracles which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. By the way, don't miss the program next week. Night cry, demonic dimensions. We'll unpack all this miracle stuff that he's talking about very clearly, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Wow, what's going on here? In other words, Protestant America is going to somehow form a replica of the medieval Dark Age Church of Rome. In what way? How is that going to happen? Well, let's think about this. This little, this little lamb-like beast, we call it, the, sea, the land beast, it has two horns, it says. In, in Bible prophecy, the horns represent strengths. Sometimes they represent a power, a nation. In Daniel, we saw that. So these, these, these indicate some certain strengths or power that this one has. Now, there are two strengths. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. Now, let's think about the United States of America. There were two key principles that made the United States different from any other nation up to this point in time in the history. You see, in the old world, this is how things operated. In the old world, meaning Europe, you did not get to choose the, the, the political leader, right? You got a king and the next king would be his son. If his son was a fool, too bad, you got a fool. That's how it worked. And also, you had to be the same religion as your leader. If your leader was a Baptist, you were expected to be a Baptist. You didn't have a choice in it. If he was a Roman Catholic, you had to be Roman Catholic. If he was an Anglican, you had to be an Anglican. That was how Europe operated. Now, the United States of America, when they set up their constitution, they said, no, we're not going to have any of that. They said this, we are going to have, number one, religious freedom. Worship according to your conscience. If you want to be a Roman Catholic, you be one. We're not going to bother you. If you want to be a Baptist, you be a Baptist. We won't bother you. You want to be an atheist? That's your choice. But no one's going to force you to be what you don't want to be. That's the first thing. The second one was civil freedom. The people get to choose their leaders. We call it democracy, right? 
we, we vote. We can have a leader for four years, then we can change the guy or whatever it is, three years in our country. That's the way the United States. That was different than any other nation up to this point in time. Two great strengths. And they said, you must keep church and state separate. You mustn't let the government interfere in the, Christian, in the, in the churches, in the religious beliefs of the people. Don't, let, don't mess with that. And don't let the church interfere with politics and, and try to use the political arm because that's what had happened in Europe. You see what had happened in Europe? The church used the state to get their ends. You can see that very clearly in history, that the church would use the kings to enforce their laws. They said, no, we're not going to have that. Not on. We're going, to be, we're going to have a wall of separation. But that wall today is crumbling. Those two things are coming together in this country tonight. In fact, even one of the chief justices of the United States Supreme Court, these are the guys that enact the laws made in their, in their, in their government. The wall of separation, he said, between church and state is a metaphor based on bad history. That's rubbish, he's basically saying. We don't want that anymore. We want to bring these two together. And there's an ever increasing thing that's happening in the United States where church and state, religion and government are moving closer and closer together. And whenever you have religion and the government getting together, you will have intolerance. That's what happens in many Muslim countries, right? Because of politic, politics and government work and religion working together, the government enforces the religious beliefs and the religion uses the government to do what they want. So there's a forming an image of the Church of Rome because that's how the Church of Rome operated, sadly. You see, I'll give you one example. In the old world, oftentimes the church would put a city under interdict. What did that mean? Interdict meant this. If the Bishop of Rome didn't like what your political leader was doing, he could say, right, interdict. No marriages, no baptisms, no funerals are going to be organized by the church. Now that to a church member of the Church of Rome is a serious thing because those things need to be done. That's all part of salvation. It's all part of the deal. So when a, when a bishop of Rome said under interdict, what do you think the citizens would do to their political leader? You get real, you get this thing fixed up, man, or we're going to get rid of you because our salvation is dependent on what you're not doing. Or what you should be doing. So this is how the politics and the religions and the government would use the work. So the Bible says this is going to happen one day in the church in America. Now there's a growing bond between Rome and Protestant USA going on today. Very much so. Remember just a few years ago, what was it, 2015, uh, Pope Francis was the first pope to address a joint meeting of Congress. Think about it, Protestant nation, that's how it started out. This was regarded as very amazing. John Bonner was the House Speaker at the time. He had been working for 20 years for this to happen. Notice what he said when it happened. What a day, what a moment for our country, Protestant America. I'm so proud that so many came to greet the Pope here at our capital. The world's greatest symbol of democracy, the United States, they're saying. The Holy Father's visit is surely a blessing for all of us. Those are remarkable words when you think about what an old prophet wrote under inspiration from Jesus 2,000 years ago. 
The global new world order, my friends, is being formed while we're here. If these things are starting to take shape. There's no question. What that says to me is the king is coming. We are almost home. We are seeing dramatic things and we're going to see even more amazing things to come. But it says that Jesus is coming because he said, these are harbingers. These are omens that I'm on my way. Now, there are serious implications as we close this first session for this growing bond between Rome and Protestant USA. Serious implications. Notice what the Bible says. Smack bang in the middle, we're going to see something. All the world marveled and followed the beast. So, they, so John says, Jesus says, so they worshipped the dragon, that's Satan, who gave authority to the sea beast, and they worshipped the beast. He, the land beast, causes the earth and those who dwell in it to what? Worship. Now you notice, worship is the central issue in the end of time. And John says this, he says, if you worship the beast image that he sets up, then you really worship the beast. And he says, we just read, if you worship the beast, you worship Satan. That's serious. Because Satan wanted Jesus to worship him. And he said, no, you can only worship God. Him only shall you serve. He's the one to be worshipped. So this is my question in closing. and We're going to answer it. How can you and I go against the crowd? Because the issue is going to be over worship. Will you worship Christ? Or will you worship Satan? And we'll show you how that's going to take place in our next presentation on 666. How can we go against the crowd as, as human beings? Notice right between these two beasts, right in the middle of this prophecy comes a very critical verse. And here it is. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, the sea beast, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I'm glad there's a third beast here. It's called the lamb. Do you notice that? It's so easy to talk about these beasts from the sea and from the land and miss the lamb. But this is the way not to follow the crowd. The question is, the lamb's book of life, what is that? Well, that's the book of life. Only one book that the lamb deals with, you see in Revelation there constantly. It's Revelation 5. It's the lamb's book of life. That's a record of God's children who put their trust in Jesus Christ, who said yes to Jesus, who plugged into the life support system. So the question is, how do you get your name in that book of life? Because if you, if you don't have your name in the book of life, you will worship the dragon, Satan. So how do you go? How do you get your name in? Very simple. John, who wrote the Revelation, says he who has the son has life, eternal life. So his name goes in the book of life. He who does not have the son does not have life. So his name is not in the book of life and he or she will worship the dragon. Question, have you got your name in the book of life? That's the question this afternoon. Forget about the beast. The real issue is, is your name in the book? Is my name in the book of life? Christ is our life support system. So God's saying you must plug into the life support system because that's Jesus and that's how you have life. Plug into God's life support system. How do you do that? We accept Christ by faith. Wow. You know, it's not hard to accept Jesus. The Bible says Jesus has come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. 
The moment we come to Christ, that moment he accepts us. We just come and say, Lord, I'm nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing, but I will claim Christ. The moment that happens, we are there. But one more thing before we finish. Names can be taken out of the book of life. <laughs> Maybe you didn't realize that. The Bible says, if anyone shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. What does it mean, take away from the words of this prophecy? Does it mean we sort of mistranslated or something no it's not talking about that when you read the book revelation the opening verses says blessed is he or she who reads the words of this book who hears the words of this book and who follows what it says to take the words out of the this book means not to follow them not to obey them so how do you keep your name in the book of life very simple jesus tells us here it is last verse Abide, remain in me, in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. There it is. Follow or obey Christ. Accept him and just keep following him. Simple, isn't it? Not rocket science. Just Accept Jesus and just keep loving Jesus by following him. That's the beautiful thing. That's why John saw these words as this great fight takes place. At the end of it, look what he said. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have what? The faith of Jesus. These people love Jesus so much, they follow Jesus wherever he goes. I want to close with this story. This is a block where they used to sell slaves in North America, in the United States, in the southern states. They would put the slaves up there and they would, they would auction for them. One occasion there's a big guy called Big Joel. He's being auctioned. And every time uh, the people bid, he'd look at the bidder and he'd say, oh, it won't work. It's just not going to work, man. And a silvery-haired old plantation owner kept bidding for Joel and every time I won't work and when finally this silvery-haired gentleman got the highest bid big Joel looked at him again and he says I'm not going to work and that old gentleman looked at Joel and he said Joel I didn't buy you so that you could be my slave I bought you today to set you free you're a free man you can go Joel that big guy didn't know what to do he just looked at that guy and some tears came into his eyes and he looked at that old man and he said, Master, I will work for you for the rest of my life. What made the difference? Love made the difference. Love made the difference. He could see. And that's the same with our God. When we see that he loves us, that he died for us, we are prepared to say, Master, I will follow you for the rest of my life. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, we've covered some territory this afternoon, but one thing we have seen is this book is not fairy tales. I want to thank you, God, for the faithful priests in the Church of Rome, the faithful bishops, the godly nuns and lay people who down through the centuries have called the church back to the Bible. Thank you that many of those people died 
simply because they shared the truths of the Bible. Many of them died because they translated the Bible into the language of the people so they could read it. Oh God, give us the same character that these people had, willing to stand for the truth, willing to make a stand for Jesus, to obey him because we love him. Thank you for revealing these things, not so that we can point fingers, but so that we can believe our God in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Countdown Back to the Future, made available by the Victoria Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, Vic Park SDA Church. family sang, I will serve thee. And coming up next, this generation for Christ will sing, We will stand our ground. There are forces in the world today who oppose our Christian faith. They attempt to destroy everything that's holy and control what preachers say. 
like rain.
Kids with Uncle Gordon, where you will hear first-hand accounts of answers to prayer and miracles from God. Oh, by the way, I think adults will like this too. Hi boys and girls, lovely to be able to share another story with you. When I was working as a volunteer in the Solomon Islands, I began trying to plan every second weekend at least to have some special event for all of the children and young people. And this particular weekend that I was planning for, we were going to have a camp out. It was very rare for them to have camp outs there because they really didn't have any facilities. They didn't have tents, they didn't have caravans. And so for us to have a camp out for young people, we'd have to make some very makeshift huts where we would just build a bit of a frame out of bush timber and then put some plastic across the top to keep the rain out if it rained and then put some leaves around the edges as walls so that at least we would be safe and secure if the weather turned bad and there would be a bit of privacy that way. So I organised for a a number of men to come with me on a Sunday to go and, and set up this camp for the following weekend. I didn't know how to go and how to get out there but a beautiful older Chinese gentleman came to me one day and he said you're doing a lot of things for young people here I can't do those sort of things but I can help you if you're needing a truck I've got a great big Isuzu tip truck here that you can use anytime you want to and so I said oh thank you I need this truck to to go out to to help set up a camp for this weekend he said fine it's full of fuel all yours you take it you use it so all these young men piled on the back on the Sunday and, and out we went to this 
to this river. We'd crossed a number of bridges to get out about 30 kilometres away. And uh, rather than crossing this next river because there was no bridge, I just parked the truck on the town side of the river and we waded across with our axes and our big knives so we could cut branches and, and cut bits of vine and bits of rope that we had to tie up some of the, some of the uh, branches together and the roll of plastic to cut and put across the top of each of these huts. Anyway, we worked away for a good part of the day and it was mid-afternoon when a man just wearing very little clothing, just a little bit of something hanging in from his waist in front of him, came out of the bush. And he said, Mr, you have a big truck there. I've got a lot of family who are on the other side of, of the river to where the truck is, who were meant to come home about three days ago. But, but the river's been in flood or semi-flood for quite a few days now. And, and the little trucks that have come out, when they look at that ford, that place where, where the government people have put down some concrete and a few other things under the water level to make it a smoother crossing and a little bit higher than the normal riverbed, those trucks are a little bit too small to cross the river. The river's just too deep at the moment. But your truck should be all right. Can you come and pick up my family, please? I said to all the young men helping me, what do you think? Are you happy to keep working for a little bit while I go and get this man? Yeah, sure, they said. So I, I waded across the river with this man and uh, we jumped into the truck and, uh, and I could see where the ford was and where it came out on the other side. And uh, so we drove across the river and, and followed this little track for quite a few kilometres until we came to a little drive turnaround point which was where they had their local bush markets. And I said, well, will you quickly go and get uh, your family while I turn the truck around? What's it like, the ground in here? He said, oh, it's all good and firm. And so I drove in where it was good and firm and began to sink into the soft mud. And I said, well, quickly go and get your family and, and bring some of the village men with some spades and some sticks so that they can help me dig out if I can't get out. And then he vanished to go and get his family and I thought well I don't want to just sit here waiting I'll try and see if I can turn that truck around so I began to rock the truck by going in first gear just a little bit then quickly dropping it back into reverse and backing back and just trying to make a firmer part under the tyres and at the same time turning the wheel so that we could slide the back a little bit and eventually I slid the back out to where it was on some, some leaves that were on the ground and it got enough traction, the truck, to be able to, to just be able to just move slightly. And once I could start to move, then I began to move more and more and turn the truck right around onto firm ground again. By the time I had the truck out, this man arrived with all his family. And there were lots of them. I don't know how many of them were his wives, the women who were there, because they tended to have quite a few wives and a lot of children and some older people. They all climbed on the truck and he climbed in the front with me. Well, we headed off. I was a bit distracted and a little bit concerned because it had been a lot longer than what I anticipated. I needed to be back by the edge of the river before dark because I didn't know the area. It was a very, very wide river and I needed to be able to see the other side exactly where the roadway went so I could go into the river at the right spot. So I began to race. I put the foot down and we began to really fly on this little bush track. And then I looked in the mirror to see how everybody was in the back and, and couldn't see anybody. And I said to the man, where's all your family? 
And he sort of stood up in the truck and looked down. He said, oh, they're all lying flat on the, on the floor of the truck. They're so scared. They've never been so fast. They think they're flying. Anyway, we arrived at the bank of the river. And just as we arrived, I thought I could see the edge of the road and the sun went down. In the tropics, when the sun goes down, it goes from full light to full dark in a matter of a moment. And I began to drive into the river. And as I drove, I wasn't sure whether I was going on the Ford or whether I was a little bit upstream or a bit downstream. I wasn't too sure. But gradually the river seemed to be getting deeper and deeper and I knew very quickly that I wasn't on the Ford. And I thought, oh no, what's happening? And then I could see evidence of the river flooding with with sticks and branches and, and even big logs starting to come down the river. But I was still moving, but I wasn't too sure whether I should turn to the left or I should turn to the right. I just didn't know which way we should take that truck. But the water was getting deeper and deeper. And then, all of a sudden, the truck stopped. The front wheels had come up against a big boulder or a big rock of some kind, and I couldn't go forward anymore. So quickly I put it into reverse gear and tried to go back, but the big dual wheels at the back, because it was little smooth stones with fast flowing river, they just spun. I couldn't get traction there. So I tried going forward again, back again. I just didn't know what to do. Meanwhile, all the men who had been helping me had already crossed the river. They had waded across with the river about up to their armpits now. It had been a lot, lot lower before when we'd first come across. They all saw the predicament. They could see the lights on the truck and they waded across down below me. They, some of them had bits of torches and they could see where we were. And they crossed at the ford and then walked up underneath where the truck was stopping a bit of the current and walked up to me. And they all climbed on the back of the truck as well to try and make a bit more weight so that we could get traction. But whatever we did, we could not get that truck to move. Meanwhile, the river was getting deeper and deeper. The rains were still raining up in the mountains. The river was obviously flooding further upstream and there were branches, there were bits of trees, bits of log coming down the river. And I thought if one of those big logs was to hit the truck on the side, it could be enough to turn us over. And I knew those people who were in the back of the truck, if we did fall out, most of them would drown because they weren't used to water. They would probably drink water a little bit, but they were not used to ever having a bath. They weren't used to swimming, and so none of them could swim. And I knew that this was a very dangerous thing. But even the strength of the water itself was making that truck start to rock. And I thought, what if the truck was to roll over? It could squash or at least throw them all out into the water and all could drown. There was nothing else I could do. So I put the truck into neutral, And in the back of my mind, I was conscious that this river was so high, already the water had come up to the point where the lights had gone under the the water now. And as I watched, I noticed the river was getting higher and higher and gradually it began to creep across the bonnet of the truck and was lapping around the the bottom of the windscreen. So I crawled out out of the window that was still open up onto the back of the truck. And I said to all the people there, This is a very dangerous situation we're in. And they all shook their heads. They all agreed. I said, there is nothing I can do. I can't make the truck go forward or backward. We need God. 
And then I told them about quickly about God who loves us and cares about us, God who made all things and made them. He can intervene. And so I said, I want to talk to him. So there in front of all those people who had no knowledge of God at all, I talked to God in prayer and asked God to, to please do something. I didn't know what he wanted to do and how he could deal with it, whether he was to move the stones in front of me or what. I had no idea. I just said, God, I need you. We all need you. Please, please save our lives here today. Then I climbed back in through the window into the driver's seat of the truck and then thought, well, what do I do now? And so I thought, well, I'll pretend I'm going forward. So I began to release the clutch and all of a sudden I felt the truck lifting off the ground a little bit. And then it began to float downstream bit by bit. It wasn't like it was going to tip over. It felt steady like there were hands holding it. And then eventually the truck settled down and it was a lot, the water was a lot shallower here. I was on the Ford. So now I released the clutch that I'd put back in again when we began to float. And then I went and let the clutch out and drove right across the Ford till we were out of the water on the other side. And then I thought, wow, isn't God amazing? I climbed back out of the truck through the window again and up onto the back onto the tray and I said to the people, you have experienced God touching your life today. And they all shook their heads. They all were making their little common sound. They're all going... Because that's the way they often used to say, that's amazing, by making little clicks with their tongue. So I said, I want to thank God. So again, I closed my eyes and just said, thank you so much, God. You have saved our lives today. You have shown these people who didn't know about you, about how much you care for them and how important they are to you. You know, boys and girls, God knows us, whatever our situation is, whatever's going inside us, he knows all about it. And he wants to be part of your life and mine. And if ever you have a chance of going on some big adventure for God like I was on, then you can know that God is going to be there because when you step out in faith to do something for him, then he will be there with you because he supports those who stand up for him. Thank you, boys and girls. You've been good listeners again today. You've been listening to Mission Stories for Kids with Uncle Gordon, a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. I'm walking through the bush just outside Sydney in Australia. And if you look around at the kinds of vegetation that's growing here, you can see that this is a dry Mediterranean kind of environment. In fact, uh, it's not just the gum trees that you see around here. I see I've been joined by a beautiful little bush turkey. And yet scattered around Sydney, there are small patches of rainforest. They're like little islands of rainforest in a sea of dry bush. Where did these little patches of rainforest come from? Well, there are actually several different theories about that. One theory explaining these rainforest islands around Sydney is that in the past, this was a much wetter area and rainforest naturally grew everywhere. Over the course of time, over the course of millions of years, the climate changed and dried out and left behind just these little 
patches of rainforest. That theory is kind of problematic because it's hard to imagine how little tiny patches of rainforest could survive over millions of years. There was never a bushfire that wiped everything out. There was never a drought in the course of millions of years that wiped everything out. That seems optimistic. So there are other theories that might explain this phenomenon somewhat better. One alternative theory is that the rainforests are in fact not completely isolated and as a consequence of that if one patch of rainforest got wiped out perhaps it just got reseeded when the conditions were right again. Birds or other animals may have bought seeds and perhaps the wind did it and that's how these patches of rainforest have been perpetuated. Yet another theory would be that perhaps these little islands of rainforest are not millions of years old. Perhaps they're only hundreds or thousands of years old and things have changed somewhat more rapidly than the theory of millions of years would suggest. And of course more than one of these theories could be true. Maybe the rainforests are not completely isolated. Maybe they're not that old. In either case, or when put together, those theories are consistent with the biblical record of history in which life on earth is not millions of years old, but in fact only thousands of years old. Obviously the theories that a person finds persuasive are going to be different depending on their worldview. I personally find the wonder of this beautiful area of the world to be so consistent with the biblical understanding of reality in which God created in the relatively recent past that I tend to go with theories about a recent change in climate and possibly that these rainforest islands are not completely isolated. Either of those theories is consistent with the biblical understanding of reality and of history. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.